Welcome to the Square Apple Show. Hi, I'm Dr. Yong Shin Ling. I'm the co-founder of Change Voyage Consulting. After 20 years of corporate life, I successfully transited to be an entrepreneur. Wearing multiple hats as an entrepreneur, adjunct lecturer, mother, wife, daughter, sister, has taught me how to navigate life's challenges. And my secret is the Square Apple. In this show, I will discuss tips and strategies to change the way you think about your personal and professional life. Because if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. Ready to activate the square apple in you? Let's begin! Hi, I'm Shinning, and welcome to the Square Apple Show. Today, I will be sharing with you how two Korean folktales triggered me to reflect on my decision-making biases. During my recent trip to Busan, I made a short one-day whirlwind trip to the city of Gyeongju, which is also known as the Museum Without Walls, and I'll explain shortly why it is so. It is a city about one and a half hours' drive away from Busan. Gyeongju used to be the capital of the Shila Kingdom, which ruled the Korean Peninsula for almost a thousand years. The city used to be home to the Shila court and most of the kingdom's elite, so visitors can catch a glimpse of what life was like through the architecture that still remains standing, as well as those which are reconstructed based on archaeological findings. In addition to relics of the Shila kingdom, Gyeongju is also known for its remarkable concentration of Buddhist art in the form of sculptures, pagodas, etc. In fact, many parts of Gyeongju has been designated as the UNESCO World Cultural Heritage Site. During the day trip, I visited two world-renowned Buddhist temples which are separately located but historically related. The first was the Syokguram Grotto and the second was the Bugulsa Temple. I hope I've got the pronunciation correct here. According to the tour guide, the two temples were built by Kim Dae-seong, a chief minister in the Shila period. The Bugoksa temple was built for his parents in his current life and the Syokguram Grotto for the parents of his former life. The tour guide told us that Kim Dae-seong was originally born poor and of a lowly caste. He's determined to change his fate and he went to see a monk. The monk told him that in order to change his fate, he must give up all his possessions to the monk. So at this juncture, many of us in the tour group started to you know, laugh a little bit because we could smell a scam in the air. Uh, but the guide ignored our giggling and she continued. She said that after Kim Dae-seong gave up his possessions to the monk, he died. Oh, at that juncture, most of us in the tour group started laughing. I know it's kind of rude to laugh, but well, the person asked for a change in fate. He didn't say whether he wanted it for better or for worse, and he got it. But that wasn't the end of the story. The tour guide continued. After Kim Dae-seong died, he was reborn into a rich family. Even though he had been reborn, he could remember everything about his previous life. To show his filial piety towards his parents from his previous life, 
he brought them to live together with his current life's parents. At this juncture, I could sense some relief between all of us in the tour group. Our tour guide, Katie, was an excellent storyteller. We had been worried that Kim Dae-seong had been scammed by the monk. Later on, when we moved to the Bogoksa temple, we heard another folktale of yet another monk who gave a very prescriptive instruction. So Katie told us that when the Bogoksa temple was being constructed, many males in a nearby village was called upon to participate in the construction. And the construction took a very long time, and the men did not get a chance to return to their homes. One of the wives made her way up to the mountain where the construction was underway and asked the monk where her husband was. And the monk pointed to a pagoda that was under construction and said, When you see the shadow of this pagoda in the lake at the foot of the mountain, that is when you will return. So, the wife went home and waited some more. However, after a while, her husband still didn't return. So she was convinced that her husband had died. So she committed suicide by drowning herself in the lake. When the husband eventually returned home and found that his wife had died, he also killed himself in the same lake. As such, the pagoda is now called the Pagoda of No Shadow. As we were all walking back to our tour bus, my 10-year-old daughter asked me, Mummy, why must these people do what the monks ask them to do? I stopped in my tracks. I was frankly a little stumped by the question. Not exactly by the question itself, because I know it's all how the stories are framed to create the maximum impact. I was still taken aback because the way we make decisions in reality is not very far from how the protagonist makes decisions in the story. When presented with a decision, we often very quickly narrow ourselves to very specific options. Do or not to do. Yes or no. Now or later. One or zero. In 2012, Baruch Fischoff, a professor from Carnegie Mellon University, conducted a study to the decision-making process of teenagers. So when he went online, he went online and he masqueraded as a certain Clarabelle and posted this question about whether to break up with a boyfriend or not on the, on the website ask.com. Okay, so let me read what Clarabelle posted on the website. Break up or not, I don't know what to do Every time I go to my boyfriend's house or hang out with his family, I feel like I'm constantly being judged. His sister, who is the same age as me, is very mood-swingy towards me. His older brother hates me and call me a do his mum to me and makes insulting jokes at me. What do I do? I like him but I'm tired of being judged and feeling weird when I'm with him. After he posted this question online, he found that the most common type of response 
was the one that lacked any choice at all. For example, oh, you need to stop blaming others. It was what he called a statement of resolve. The second most common is a single option decision, like deciding whether to break up and possibly in the examples earlier, whether to give away his possessions or whether to commit suicide if the husband doesn't return. So the author in the book Decisive calls them whether or not decisions. So these two categories form 65% of the teenager's choice. Okay? Um, the lack any choice at all and single option decision. So whilst they think they, can, they are making a decision, actually there's not much of a real choice at all. So you may be thinking, especially if you are a teenage parent like myself, that it's hormone-raging youth making decisions. Adults won't do the same. But what do you expect, right? So let's see how organisations can fare better. Okay, another researcher, Paul Nutt, analysed decisions made by organisations. And in a study where he conducted in 1993, he analysed 168 decisions. And in this study, he found that only 29% of the teams considered more than one alternative. Okay, let's compare the statistics of this study with the study conducted on the teenagers. In the study conducted on the teenagers, 30% considered more than one alternative. So you see, organisations are pretty much like teenagers in making choices. Whether we are making individual decisions or professional decisions, the ability to widen our options is critical. I can't emphasise this more. If I were to tell you the single most important decision-making technique that you should acquire is the ability to systematically consider wider options. Personally, I've encountered countless situations where I feel I'm stuck in a rut until someone or something triggered me to think about alternative possibilities. In the book Decisive, the Heath brothers have laid out some techniques for us to systematically widen our options. I will share three in this podcast. If you are interested to find out more, you can look out for the references in the show notes below. The first is around reframing your question. I've talked about this in an earlier episode on how to turn your round apple into a square apple. You change your question from, should I do A or B to something else broader? One that I use often is, what do I need to do to allow me to achieve X, whatever X may be? In the earlier podcast, I talked about Stacy, my co-founder, and I needing to make a decision about which deal to give up because we may potentially get all the deals and, and we can't just service all of them. So instead of give, give up A or B, we reframe the question to, what do I need to do to allow me to take all the deals? And that generated a lot more options than give up A or B. The second is consider the opportunity cost. I find this very interesting and personally, I use it sometimes with my children. For example, in the recent family vacation to Busan, I gave them a budget to buy something that they liked. So I shifted the usual conversation of, 
mommy, should I buy this bag or not? Ah? To, if I do not spend the $20 on this bag, what other things can I get for $20? Oh, maybe there's a gaming headphone, headset, or, or can I get a passport holder? But of course, other than using it on children, you can also easily use this concept in a professional context. Okay, the third one is you imagine your option disappeared. I personally use this a lot and I think this technique cures functional fixedness to some extent. Let me give you an example. I was trying to buy some seaweed around the Jagauchi market in Busan. At one particular shop, I was trying to confirm if the seaweed that I've identified can be used to make soup. So since I don't know how to say soup in Korean, I typed out the word soup in English and then used Google Translate and showed the old man the word in Korean. Firstly, he had difficulty reading the word on my handphone screen. Secondly, the word didn't resonate with him and he looked puzzled. So I thought to myself, what if a person is illiterate? Like he cannot, he cannot read, he cannot understand the, the, the written words. What will I use to communicate with him? What I did was removing the option of using textual information to communicate. The next moment, I googled a picture of seaweed soup, which is definitely much bigger than the word soup. He broke into a smile and nodded his head vigorously, indicating that the product is indeed for making soup. So when you face with when you are faced with decisions today, think about what I've discussed in the podcast. Reframe the question, consider the opportunity cost, and finally, imagine what if this option did not exist. I hope you have enjoyed the episode. If you have any questions or thoughts on this episode, please connect with me on LinkedIn at bit.ly forward slash square apple. That's bit.ly forward slash s-q-u-a-r-e-a-p-p-l-e. Thank you and see you soon. Thank you for joining me today. I'm very honoured to have you here. If you would like to keep going and want to know more about the number one Southeast Asia's leading female entrepreneurship network, head over to Soul Rich Woman at S-O-U-L-R-I-C-H-W-O-M-A-N.com and download the free ebook on how to get clients and multiply your income through personal branding. Remember, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will change. Do subscribe to The Square Apple Show and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Bye for now.